When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. The Great Al in White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Monday, September 10th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay on Tuesday night, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or at LondonBridge.com. You can also interact with the show via voicemail or text message by sending your questions, comments, or complaints to 929-274-3437. That's 929-274-3437. This week, we're all over week one in the NFL season with commentary on the biggest surprises and storylines from Sunday. We'll also recap week two in the college football season and run down our picks from this past week and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, football is fully back. We didn't get a chance to talk about college football yet, but now we get to do so along with NFL. And there were some highs, there were some lows. College football usually takes it easy week two, most likely because they know everyone's interest will be on the National Football League. Still some exciting games. We can start with the NFL because everybody's incredibly excited about that. And full disclosure, we are recording this during halftime of the Chicago Bears-Green Bay Packers game We're well aware of the injury to Aaron Rodgers. We did not know the severity of it, so we cannot speak on what it might mean to the Packers to lose Aaron Rodgers for an extended period of time. What we can say, though, is even at the half, no matter what happens the rest of the way, it's the Khalil Mack middle finger to the Oakland Raiders game, and he's proven that he's going to change this Bears defense for the better and has already improved it tenfold just by being out there has worked himself to two turnovers and a touchdown he's having himself a day before we even get to the second half well johnny remember this is a good defense last year i believe this is the top 10 defense last year uh so they add one of the two or three best players in the league uh, arguably the best player at his position uh they have a terrific Number one pick out of Georgia in Rokon Smith, the linebacker, and we'll see what kind of impact he's going to have down the line. But Mac has obviously had a huge impact already. Plus, remember, they are playing the human turnover. Uh, uh, now, granted, uh, they shut down the Packers before he took the field, but uh, the former Notre Dame quarterback, uh, young Mr. Kaiser, has basically picked up where he left off last year in Cleveland, where he was a turnover waiting to happen, and he's done the same tonight. Huge turnover down in the red zone that could have got Green Bay on the board. And then a really a stumbling, fumbling, uh, ill-advised, instead of taking the sack, throw it into the crowd on a sack slash screen pass. And lo and behold, uh, it's 17 nothing at the half. And I think you could pretty much put this one in the books because based on what we saw in the first half, 
uh, unless Aaron Rodgers comes out of that tunnel ready to play, I would say the chances of a Green Bay comeback are about as much as uh, as strong as the chances of a Vince Lombardi comeback right now. And that doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> We'll put it that way. Well, we can start, and we have a lot to get into as the show goes on. Just to look ahead, we mentioned college football. We'll get into that. We have a pick segment, aptly coined from Al as the six-pack. We'll take three games from college football, three games for the NFL, and see how we can do there. We'll get into Serena Williams a little bit. We'll even open up the phone line that I have for the Bridge Sports Podcast in case you guys want to send us a voicemail or a text with a question Serena, or a Serena comment. Did have, Serena did have the best line of what has been a huge sports weekend. She did have the best line of the weekend, without a doubt. Agreed. What she, what she said to the umpire, she's getting up from the chair, you're a thief. That was an all-time classic. Not just what she said, the way she said it. You know, you took a point from you're a thief, and, and got up and walked away. I thought that was classic. Absolute classic. But let, let's not belabor the tennis. We will we'll get back to it. Everybody wants to talk NFL. Um, really, I mean, we might as well start with what had to be the biggest surprise of the day. Uh, everybody loves the Saints coming off a playoff year. They open at home against a uh, Winstonless uh, Buck team that is all banged up. And, you know, uh, our old buddy from the chat, Ryan Fitzpatrick, simply goes out and proves once again that you know, just when you think it's time to stick a fork in this guy, he throws for over 400 yards and four touchdowns, and they put up 48 points against the Saints in New Orleans, and the great Saints defense just gets absolutely shredded in a game that was never this close. How shocked were you by this game? Well, and it's funny because it's hard to be as shocked as I might have been if everyone wasn't on the Saints. It didn't feel good because of that. A lot of survivor pools were ended on Sunday because everyone thought that the Saints were going to roll over the Bucks, And it's not a terrible thing to think. They're going up against a backup quarterback, though a veteran in himself and somebody that would be prepared for the game. But you'd have to think at home the Saints would have been okay. They would have been fired up. And the offense was. The offense did what you would expect the Saints offense to do, dropping 40. But you have to be horrified as a Saints fan to watch them give up 48 points full well knowing who the quarterback was going to be. This isn't an instance where Jameis Winston might have went down in the first quarter and you weren't and prepared surprise, for the backup. The exactly. You knew what to expect, and we have more than enough film on Fitzmagic to take us into a game like that. Not now, the best way to come out to now, start the season. It, it, in, it, it's, it's almost indefensible, but in their defense, if I may... And I probably shouldn't even give it a shot, but they do have arguably the most electric pair of wide receivers uh, on one team in the NFL. In Mike Evans, who is just a big physical brute. And we've seen over the years that when Deshaun Jackson wants to play and is healthy, he is, is, is literally as electric a deep threat as there is in the National Football League. 
And he was there today. And Evans was what he always is, uh, just a tremendous wide receiver who can catch the ball in traffic, get open, go up above guys, make the hand catches. Uh, and Fitzpatrick played terrific. And the thing was that every time New Orleans tried to come back, boom, Tampa right back down the field. And it, it was like, you know, big brother keeping little brother at bay. They just never, the, the, the closest they ever got was the final score. Yeah, and it, it was nice to see from the offensive side them not give up and at least put forth an effort. But it just doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. And I'm sure that they're going to come back and, and make some changes and not have a game like this happen. But if you're going to go out and make a statement to start your season, this was the game to do it, and they came up empty. But on the opposite side of the coin for the Bucks, here we go. Are we going to sit Jameis now when he comes back after the three-game suspension? We can already have that discussion after one game based on the magic Fitzpatrick was able to do. And, and you know that will be all the talk. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in swing and sway in Tampa Bay. Okay, the, the people with the daggers in, in their mouth. That will be all the sports talk radio all week long is what do we do when Jameis comes back? Is he going to have his job? Well, let's at least roll it back a little bit and let's let it play out for a couple more weeks before we put, uh, you know, KG Ryan uh, into the starting role for the rest of the season and Jameis on the bench. Let's let's for a change, let it play out a little. Let's not have it be an overreaction Sunday night. All right. Uh, now let's move on to, I don't know if we'll call it the second most shocking game of the day, but certainly a surprising one. They didn't have their all-pro running back, who still is, uh, you know where. I, I don't know if we call him AWOL, because technically he's not uh, under the franchise tag yet in terms of it actually being signed, but uh, he is nowhere to be found. Uh, so Pittsburgh goes into Cleveland for the opener uh, with their great wide receiver with their Hall of Fame to be quarterback in the rain and the wind to take on Tyrod Taylor. And yes, he's back after his 17th suspension. All right. There's Mercurial wide receiver. Uh, Josh Gordon is back along with the additions that they've made throughout the league. Um, and in a game that I guess confounds you because the Steelers were ready to win it the way they seemingly always win these games and the Browns ready to lose it uh, the way they always lose them. Neither happens. And then the Browns do have a chance to win it. And of course they fail miserably as always on the special teams front. What we're talking about is somehow, some way this game went into overtime with a tremendous catch from, uh, Josh Gordon, and a great throw from Tyrod Taylor as he tippy-toed down the sideline uh, in the last minutes. They go into overtime. Pittsburgh misses a field goal that they never miss as it hooked just wide left. Uh, Big Ben, after the Browns do nothing and kick it back to Pittsburgh, trying to make something happen, uh, gets hammered from behind, balls up in the air, intercepted in their imitable fashion, 
only the Browns could commit the block in the back to take the ball back from what would have been about the 10-yard line. And uh, they run a couple plays and get the field goal blocked in the rain and wind. So we have a tie in the first week of the season uh, between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, 21-all. And their all-pro running back is replaced by uh, the young kid who played very well, rushed for 130 yards, had his first NFL touchdown. Well, shout out for the Browns for ending their losing streak in the most Brown ways possible, not with a win, but with a tie. For keeping their winless streak intact. Right. It's unbelievable. Just as fans at those bars that have those locked up Bud Light coolers were getting ready to break the glass and enjoy the rest of their night, unfortunately, a tie. And, And again, of all the ways to do it, too, you have an opportunity. You go from the feeling of defeat when they're lining up for a field goal, then having an opportunity to answer with one of your own and, and shock the world really in this first game and not be able to do it. Of course you have to just shake your head. Unfortunately, again, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan and after watching hard knocks, HBO, as I mentioned to you before, has this way of making the center staged team for that program feel like a Super Bowl contender. And I was excited for the Browns. I was excited to see how Tyrod slash Tyrod Taylor was going to look with a new team trying to prove Buffalo wrong, which, I mean, Buffalo really would take anybody at this point. But <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave about two minutes of the show for them after today's 47-3 to crucifixion on the hands of the Baltimore Ravens. But... They have enough weapons now to not be the laughing stock Browns, and yet Taylor doesn't really do much to get you excited. And Big Ben goes right along with him. Three interceptions, five total, I believe, turnovers for the Steelers, and Cleveland is in this game. The Steelers did everything they possibly could to hand this game to the Browns, and they couldn't take full advantage of it. And, of course, a tie is somewhat better than a loss if you're Cleveland. A tie is as equal as a loss if you're the Steelers. I enjoyed what they tried to do at the running back position and succeeded in doing so in making James Conner look like a Le'Veon Bell stat line-wise. Two touchdowns, 130-plus something rushing yards. He looked fantastic. It was funny to see him after scoring his first touchdown celebrate with the offensive lineman that talked about Le'Veon Bell so eloquently this past week leading up to the game, celebrate like they had just won the Super Bowl. Looked to be a little bit purposeful in that, which I can't blame them for. But and he's got a nice, got a nice haircut too. He does, and and a shout out to the offensive line as well because we know that Le'Veon Bell's running style is different than anyone else in the National Football League. Though they know he wasn't going to be there, they still had to be able to put forth a decent effort in the blocking scheme, and they did so. And on paper, the wide receivers Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster did well too. But Ben Roethlisberger, he wants to play three, three to five more years. Yeah, I don't know about that. Cleveland's defense I, I think, is great, but can, that was not a good I think we can eliminate shot. the to five. He's not, play, he's not playing more than three years. And he'll be lucky to get the three years. Uh, because, you know, Big Ben takes a lot of hits. And Big Ben is getting less and less mobile. And 
as you know, the players are getting bigger and faster and stronger, and Ben's going backwards on all those things. He's not going to get bigger. He's not going to get any faster. And we know he's not going to get any stronger. He's going in the opposite direction, all three. And Father Time always wins. And he's a Hall of Famer. But the days of him not running people are gone. Uh, not going to be much longer where he can have two guys hanging all over the pocket, still get throws off. So uh, I don't see three years. I see probably two more. Uh, and they need to start grooming a successor. And uh, I, if I were the Steelers, I'd, I'd be looking for a quarterback in the upcoming draft. But be that as it may, it was a game where, despite everything that happened, uh, there were the Steelers sitting in chip shot field goal range to break the, heart, the hearts of the Browns and Browns fan, and Brent fans in the home opener. And they did basically what they rarely, if ever, do. They blew that opportunity. Uh, wide left by a shade. And uh, they come out with a very dissatisfying tie in their opener. And that transitions us to another dissatisfying opener, this one at home. Uh, despite yeoman efforts from their two electric offensive players, uh, their hot shot, I shouldn't say hot shot, their prize uh, overall number two pick, uh, great games on paper yet again, as they we had, mentioned the Steelers. Great, amazing great games. games. Great games on paper. But as they say, you don't play them on paper. You don't win them on paper. You don't lose them on paper. You do it on the field. And despite Barkley's numbers, with the exception of his one tremendous touchdown run, uh, the Jacksonville defense, I thought, did a fabulous job against him. Sure tackling. Uh, they did a, a tremendous job on Beckham, who played incredibly well. <laughs> Excuse me. And had 11 catches. But they never let Beckham get behind them. Beckham was always in front of them. And despite the fact that he is a water bug uh, and can make five guys miss, there was always a sixth and seventh guy there to make a tackle. And, you know, bad interception by Eli with pressure, deflection, pick six the other direction. Uh, they come right back with the Barkley touchdown, but they trailed the whole game and uh, they could never get down the field when they were within one score uh, and even this game up or get the lead. And despite a, an abysmal second half from the Jacksonville offense, uh, they dropped in, in the first half when Bortles played well, they dropped three or four passes. Uh, they lost Leonard Fournette to a hamstring in the second half. Bortles was, you know, basically reverted to the old Blake Bortles. He was absolutely abysmal. And I believe it was, I believe it was seven punts, six or seven punts for the offense in the second half. Um, and the Giants just could never get over the hump uh, and get down the field for that score uh, to put them ahead. And they have plenty of opportunities to do so. I think if you're a Giants fan, you're thrilled with the way Odell Beckham Jr. looked. You're th thrilled with what you saw from Saquon Barkley and his ability to make large plays happen. The same for Odell Beckham Jr. as well. But I wouldn't be thrilled with still seeing Eli Manning drop back and still seeing a similar product to what you're used to seeing when it comes to him as quarterback with the New York Giants. They didn't look... Well, Johnny, it's not, it's not going to change. Right. 
That's you know, the what, thing. Eli's, I mean, he did, he did roll out a couple times in this new offense uh, you know, on one of their first drives, uh, but then they got down there and they stalled. Um, again, the Jacksonville defense, which was without one of their best defensive well, the fourth terrific defensive linemen, they were without one of them uh, today, uh, who we had was serving the one game suspension. But that defensive line pretty much thoroughly controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, they had pressure on Manning all day. I thought they did a great job on Barkley, except for the one run where he got outside and showed remarkable balance and speed, uh, staying in balance, tiptoeing down the sideline and outrunning everybody for the one long run. But other than that, they really controlled him. But what you see is what you get with, with Manning. I mean, he's going to be in the pocket. Uh, he had a couple balls dropped, but th- there just doesn't seem to be uh, – any kind of rhythm, any kind of continuity, uh, it just seems to be, it's going to be Beckham. It's going to be Beckham, 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 Beckham. Uh, and that's where the plays are going to come from. Uh, you got nothing from the tight end today. Uh, you got drops uh, from you know, his other receivers. Uh, and they just could not come up with the big third down conversion uh, or the big play down the field which they, re- they really didn't have a big play down the field with the exception of the Barkley run. They really had nothing down the field um, from Eli today. Well, the team that Eli somehow has been able to conquer twice in the Super Bowl, the New England Patriots, who were favored to fade this week with the Texans for most of the lines getting six or six and a half seemed like the public loved that line. And of course, New England wins by seven against Houston. And the Patriots were back to their old tricks. Tom Brady didn't really seem to miss a beat at all. Getting one year older than last year doesn't make too much of a difference. Gronkowski with another monster game, the usual from New England. Whereas with Houston, it looked like Deshaun Watson's just going to need to get a couple games under his belt. There, there well, wasn't know, I, a lot that shocked me coming from what he was able neither. to do. I, I like Deshaun Watson a lot. Uh, he was a tremendous college player. Was off to a great start last year. Uh, but again, you, you know, I'm old, which makes me old school. I do like to see guys you know, put a full year under their belt before I'm anointing them, you know, the next great thing. And I'm not saying that Watson is not going to have a terrific NFL career, but I'm, I'm not buying into him going to be a terrific NFL quarterback. Yet. I have to see more, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he is this guy, but you know, everybody raved about Dak Prescott. And I understand he had a tremendous offensive line and a great rookie running back that first year. But, oh, this is the quarterback of the future. This is our guy. He's taking the, he's taking the role over. Romo can retire. And what's he done since? Including today. We'll get to that moment. So, nothing. Now, Watson, I think, is a much better player. I think he's a much better thrower. Um, but he, And I'm sure he will be better than he was today. Uh, but he's recovering from, you know, the ACL. So let's see how he progresses as he gets his legs under, no pun intended. He wasn't very, their offense wasn't very good today. He wasn't very good. Uh, 
against a New England defense that is just okay. Not a, and, and let's not make this sound like you know, New England was in control of this game the entire game. Right? Uh, this game was close because of a New England fumbled punt uh, by a punt returner who tried to catch the ball with his face mask uh, that led to the score that put Houston within a score. So uh, if not for a New England gaffe, uh, late, this game would not be nearly as close as it was. They were lose control of this game the entire way, uh, which I, I, I think surprised a lot of people. A lot of people liked Houston to go in there and beat them, uh, but I still think Deshaun Watson uh, has got a ways to go in my mind. Now, remember, they were missing uh, one of their key wide receivers. Uh, you know, the Notre Dame kid uh, was not there today, uh, so that's a big weapon uh, on the other side of the field. Uh, which may have had uh, some impact on uh, Watson not being nearly as effective because Will Fuller uh, had a tremendous start to the season with Watson last year, and he was not there. Will Fuller the fifth. Don't forget the V that he put uh, You know, his name. It, it's amazing. You know, when, when I was younger, you had juniors. And that was pretty much it. Now, every, everywhere you look, you got, you got three juniors. Junior, the juniors, we know, their kids are out. So the, the third, the fourth, Will's the fifth. Everybody's got a Roman numeral after their name. Yeah, but don't, <laughs> don't think you're going to put doctor or any of that after your last name. No, no. The NFL won't have any of that. Forget about the degrees you have and the letters uh-uh. you deserve. Nope. Uh-uh. We'll Just the letters back. and numbers. Right. We'll put the Romies back there. All right. But no degrees. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Yeah, it was unfortunate that Deshaun Watson has to have his first game back against the New England Patriots. Had this game come in week 12, week 13, you would have felt a little bit more comfortable having confidence in the Texans, especially after seeing what they're going to be able to do. As you mentioned, New England's defense is okay, but we always know Bill Belichick as well is going to find one or two things to throw at you that's just going to make things a little bit more difficult than they would normally be. And it's difficult to have that be your first game back with a little bit of added pressure looking across at Tom Brady. If they meet again, it could obviously go different as the season moves on, and and we'll see. It's not like I'm not rooting for him to do well. He's one of the quarterbacks that I have been rooting for as far as the young draft class goes, just based on what we were able to see him do at the highest of stages in college football. But it's, it's tough to have this be your first game back. And we'll see what he's able to do as the season goes on because that defense will be something you can lean back on at least and hopefully will lead to some wins in Houston. Well, that's what they tell us. That's, that's what, they, what tell they tell us, us right. And uh, that- now, on, on, on the other hand, what I was probably the happiest about today was that uh, a slightly or not quite as young quarterback coming off uh, a long series of injuries to the same body part, uh, that throwing shoulder, uh, Andrew Luck, finally came back today and I thought looked, if not at the top of his game, looked very good. I agree. He played, he played very well. 
I'm thrilled to see it because I love Luck. I think he's great for the game. I love how hard he plays. I love the way he leads. Uh, he was one of the handful of best college quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, and NFL-ready quarterbacks I've seen coming out of college, ironically. Uh, two of the others being also from Stanford. Uh, one being Jim Plunkett, who won the Heisman Trophy. The other being John Elway, who didn't. Uh, those are probably three of the half-dozen most NFL-ready quarterbacks I've ever seen coming out of college. And he played terrific today. He led his team. They had the lead for most of that game. And then their defense fell apart. Um, and Luck was taking them down the field 27-23 uh, in scoring position uh, with a chance to take the lead, completed uh, about a 25-yard pass to his tight end, who got hit, and as he went down, kind of got bent backwards with a tough hit uh, and forgot to take the football with him. And to add insult to injury, not only did Cincinnati recover, but uh, they went about 75 yards with it for the score, put the game away. That was a fast Luck, man running that ball back, by the way. And he Luck took was off the last crazy. guy, and to his credit, uh, and I held my breath when I watched the replay, uh, because Luck had the angle on him. Guy was flying. He dove, made a, a legit attempt at a tackle, tried to ramp up around the legs, but he also fell on his shoulder. But I think it was his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, memory serves me. But, you know, anytime you see a quarterback trying to make a tackle, right. uh, you're too young to remember, but that's how Joe Namath got hurt 100 years ago in a preseason game, trying to do that. And, um hurt himself badly against the Mike Lucci and the Lions. He played more than one game. I thought he just played in that Super Bowl, and that was it. <laughs> That's all he needed to play in. Uh, and a legend was made. Uh, but fortunately, luck was fine, but they wind up on the short end of a 34-23 score in a game that they led for a good chunk of it. Uh, and then uh, basically had it taken away in the last quarter. So A.J. Green, again, another huge game. Uh, I happen to think he's the most underrated wide receiver in the sport. He's really been kind of lost in the shadow of, uh, remember he and Julio Jones came out together. AJ Green was at Georgia. Julio Jones was at Alabama. Um, they were both top 10 picks. And uh, re remember there was a trade up uh, by Atlanta to get Julio Jones. He was passed on by, you know, who the Browns. What a surprise. Um, and wound up in Atlanta. And they've been more successful than Cincinnati. But I don't think Julio Jones, as great as he is, is one shred better than A.J. Green. I think A.J. Green is a fabulous wide receiver. And uh, he had, an, he had you know, another terrific game today. And Andy Dalton played well. And uh, I think Cincinnati has a chance to be one of the surprise teams in the league this year. That remains to be seen. But they are, they are a load to deal with. Uh, you know, they got the kid from Washington also. Uh, so they can get it up and down the field uh, with respect to those receivers. Yeah, Joe Mixon had a great game out of the backfield and caught a couple nice catches. It comes down to you have to put your faith in Andy Dalton and hope he could finally live up to a nickname that really hasn't had a live up to in the Red Rocket. And a coach that, as we know, Hasn't been able to do anything. Hey, the, in Bill, the Bills fan, the Bills fans love him. 
a good point. They do. Of course, they, of course <laughs> they, they love any they love any quarterback after this week who's not their own. Yeah, that's a good point. We can get into that briefly. The, the only thing I could say about Andrew Luck, you hope that he doesn't spend a lot of time this season having to be in those comeback-type situations, and it seems like the defense might have that happen to him more often than not where he's going to be on the field a long time. He threw the ball over 50 times. Yeah, he did. And we'll see how he feels. It, hopefully he's okay. He didn't come out of the game, obviously, but no, I, I'm I'm just concerned. You know the deal when when you throw the when you have to go back that many times right. behind a shaky offensive line. When you throw that many times, it's usually because you have to throw. And if you have to throw, that means they know you have to throw. And if they know you have to throw, that means they're rushing and they're coming and they're as they will say, they're pinning the ears back. And that's what I worry about. Baltimore Ravens, forty-seven. My Ravens caught the Raven. Never more. They're back, at least in week one. <laughs> it, that offense looked like how we expected it to look for, say, the past, what, five or six seasons? Well, I don't, I don't know about that because they have been so – I don't even want to use the term uh, mediocre because that would be giving them too much credit. Their play uh, at the wide receiver position uh, without – I should say, besides and now without Steve Smith and Torrey Smith, uh, since he left for free agency, has been uh, just abysmal uh, in terms of r- uh, route running, uh, literally catching the ball, getting open. Uh, they finally gave up on uh, the Perryman kid, who they wasted a first-round pick on, uh, and, and let him go. They brought in... Uh, Crabtree from the Raiders. They brought in John Brown from Arizona. Uh, they brought in. Now you're going to get the Roman numeral. Is, is, is Willie Steed the fourth? Uh, yeah, is he I, an I, I? I think so. I think he's he's four. an Ivy, right? Yeah. He's an Ivy. And they brought in Willie Sneed from New Orleans. They all caught touchdown passes today. So that's a very good sign for Joe Flacco. And look, they're going to have a terrific defense. But but you know that that defense today against. I mean, Peterman and company, that might as well have been Mr. Peterman. <laughs> that was like taking candy from a baby. That, that, was, not, that, that was not a fair game today. Uh, and it showed. 47 to 3, I think six sacks. Uh, I may have lost count. A couple interceptions. Um, you know, and a Raven offense that you know, thrived on a defense, put him in good field position. And uh, you know, a Buffalo team that was just completely outmanned today in uh, – in a home opener in Baltimore where John Harbaugh, I believe he is now six and one in home openers when they, when they open the season in Baltimore, if I got that right. I'm not too good with these stats anymore. Uh, it's not an analytical stat, but just a stat that requires some memory and being the old guy. Uh, I'm not that sharp as I used to be, but I think he's now six and one in, in uh, when they open the season at home. Well, speaking of stats, Sean McDermott, head coach of the Bills, said he's going to have to check the game tape to see about benching Peterman for Josh Allen for week two. I'm not sure why he would want to subject himself to watching that game film again another think time. About the Peterman, it, think about the Peterman two starts. In San Diego, what did he throw, six interceptions? I think it only got to five. Okay. Now one of them, one of them, one of them, I think was 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 a a a ball that should have been caught by one of his receivers. There's return for a touchdown, but 
they get absolutely obliterated in that game. And remember, still made the playoffs because of the Ravens' loss uh, to Cincinnati last week of the season. And this is his second start, I believe. Um, can you have two worse starts as an NFL quarterback than these two? I'm sure if the NFL stats and info folks gave us what his numbers are compared to, to the other starts of quarterbacks for their first two starts, the names that would be on the list probably aren't ones you want to be in contact with. I, I mean, 47 to three. That's yeah. a tough go. It's going to be, it might be a rough year for the Buffalo. Bills. Oh, and if you look at their schedule. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's not good. There's there are no one six in the face, no matter who's playing quarterback. Another game that was under the spotlight was the Cowboys and Panthers that we've briefly mentioned thus far. And also let me briefly mention Aaron Rodgers is back on the football field for the Green Bay Packers. So if people are listening to this and are wondering why we haven't cleared that up, he is back. It is currently 20 to 3. The Bears are still leading. The Bears offense doesn't look dreadful. So again, regardless of the outcome of this game, you have to be happy with what the defense has shown and that the offense is having fun. That could change as the season goes on once teams get tape of what the offense will look like under Mitch Trubisky. But for tonight, they've come out and looked good. For Dallas, they came out and looked Dreadful. As the fictitious producer of my other podcast, The Bridge, said, he doesn't remember a game like this where he spent most of it just saying, what the F are they doing? And wondered if Buffalo fans felt the same today. Not a lot of positives aside from Ezekiel Elliott getting into the end zone for fantasy football owners. Dak just didn't look good and and cam's numbers aren't going to be great compared to dax but cam did it all with his feet and he did it all by getting a lead and holding it the cowboys just look blah in their first game of the season i will tell you uh, i that that was probably uh one where i missed the boat on i just missed the boat if memory serves me correct when i was making my under over selections for the for the season, I think the number on Dallas, I could be dead wrong. Uh, I think he had to lay a lot of wood on the under, but I, I just don't see the weapons uh, for Prescott. You know, remember, Dez is gone, and Dez really wasn't even that good last year, but he's gone. Uh, the safety blanket of uh, old folks at tight end is now in the Monday Night Football booth after 27 years with Dallas. Uh, so that leaves a terrific running back, an offensive line that is one of the best in the league, but a little banged up. And I really like in Carolina. Um, they're not quite as dominant, but the Carolina defense to me is the NFC version of the Jacksonville defense. They are very, very, very good tacklers. They do a great job of keeping everything in front of them. Now, not that they had nearly the game breakers in Barkley and Beckham to deal with uh, in terms of the speed of the Dallas offense, uh, but they really controlled the Dallas offense all day. Fierce pass rush. Um, this was a game where Dallas was in a position to tie the game with a touchdown and two-point conversion, and it never should have been that close. You know, Carolina had chances you know, early in the game. 
you know, they had a nice drive and, you know, McCaffrey fumbled uh, inside the five, uh, which was huge. You, you know, you get no, when you are a ball control team and you get no points. Not good out for of my fantasy drive. team, though, Al. Not good for my fantasy team. Thanks. Thanks, Christian. And, and, and you get no points out of a long drive and control the clock. Those are killer turnovers. Now, granted, the defense did a great job. Uh, Dallas never really threatened in the first half. And uh, that game should have been put away with the last touchdown, but the kicker misses the extra point to put them in a position where they can be tied with two touchdowns and two-point conversions. And lo and behold, Dallas is in a position after they get their one touchdown where they've got the ball with two minutes to go uh, and a chance to go down the field. Now, they never got close. Uh, I, I credit the Carolina defense. They had a terrific day. Uh, they really controlled the football game. Uh, and I thought they just really never gave Dallas a lot of room to move. Prescott never looked comfortable. Um, the receivers went open, uh, did not create a lot of space, not a lot of runs after the catch. Um, and I thought Carolina was the dominant team today uh, on the field in that game. I thought they were the, the stronger team, the more physical team. Um, that game I thought could have been 27 to three, uh, you know, 27 to seven instead of 16 to eight, much closer. I, I, I thought, uh, the, the score was much closer to me than the way the game was played. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. All right, we have about 15 minutes left here, if you can believe it. So I'll run through a couple of the games we didn't get to quickly, starting with my Denver Broncos defeating the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't really care to say in a Super Bowl rematch just because that game was so damn lopsided when they played. 27-24, Russell Wilson did his thing. He, he can create, and he did so on a couple of touchdowns, a long one to Tyler Lockett, who looks great after that severe injury he had a year or two ago. Case Keenum was, eh, Three, three and three, correct? Yeah, three, three and three. Three interceptions. The good part of the three and three was that there was a three in front in front of the second three, and there was over 300 yards passing, numbers mm -hmm. that I can't even tell you the last time a Denver quarterback had. So he, he was okay. He was a game manager. Emmanuel Sanders had a great game and a touchdown. From the clouds, Philip Lindsay, running back undrafted out of Jeff Rickard's Colorado squad came to the rescue and showed that he'll be a threat to that backfield. So they looked good, and it was good to see that in the first game, especially against Seattle, whose defense is not nearly as bonded as it once was, but that's a game that you like to get a win from. We can put it that way. Yeah, especially at home. Um, you know, Seattle uh, took the lead. They were in position, uh, but they could not get off the field after they took the 24-20 lead. And then when they got the ball on the last drive deep in their own territory with a chance to at least get down the field and kick a game tying field goal, they never got close. So credit to Denver defense, uh, which should be a pretty good defense uh, with those bookend pass rushers. Um, you know, and like you said, Keenum just enough today. Uh, he gave he giveth and he took it away with the three and three. 
But you know, throwing for over 300 yards, like you said, hadn't happened in quite a while. And uh, your Denver gets out of the box 4-0. Uh, the Go-Go Chargers went-went uh, and lost to the Go-Go Chefs in, uh, in another AFC West battle. So uh, the team that everybody really liked the most, everybody's on the Chargers. A lot of people are picking the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. They start 0-1. Uh, their defense just could not deal with the big play capabilities of the Chiefs today. Um, the, the Hill kid was everywhere. Uh, you know, a, a 93, I believe, 93-yard pump return, a long catch and run for a touchdown. And, you know, the, the son of the old right-hander, you know, Pat Mahomes of, of uh, the Twins and other franchises, young Patrick Mahomes, uh, had a hell of a, an opener. And uh, San Diego scored a lot. San Diego, excuse me. Uh, the Chargers scored a lot, but it wasn't nearly enough. They had a lot of drop passes. Phil Rivers uh, had at least four balls dropped in the first half alone. And uh, the Chiefs get out of the gate 1-0, and uh, the Chargers are 1-1. The Vikings hand Jimmy Garoppolo his first loss as a starter and prove that they're losing nothing with Kirk Cousins as their quarterback in place of Case Keenum. And in the same token, Alex Smith looks like the Redskins aren't necessarily losing too much with him now in place for Kirk Cousins, them getting a win also over those poor, poor Arizona Cardinals and Sam Bradford, who did not get hurt, though, as a plus. And I believe that so takes us through. It, it was, that makes it a positive take for Sam. The fact that, he, of course, we never know. We didn't, we didn't think he got hurt last, last year in the opener. Okay, and all of a sudden, Sam's not playing for seven weeks. So uh, I still don't know how he got hurt in the opener because he played the whole game uh, you know, in, in the Minnesota Open. We all raved about how well he played. The fact, boy, Sam played great. They're one and zero. Oh, Sam didn't get hurt. The next thing you know, Sam's hurt. So who knows? Sam, Sam may be hurt for all we know. Um, but you know, an ugly start for the Cardinals. Uh, not surprising for the Skins because Smith is incredible, probably the most underrated quarterback in the game. Uh, all he does is win football games, uh, and nobody ever respects him. He's, he can quarterback my team any day of the week. Is he a world beater? Is he a superstar? Absolutely not. But he's a solid, and I know that sounds incredibly cliche-ish, but Smith is a solid NFL quarterback, and that's what the Redskins need right now. Well, sorry to the Jets fans and the other L.A. team fans and the Oakland fans. There's really no sense of us breaking down those games since they'll be being played while you're listening to this or after you're listening to this. So we can't talk about the Monday night games and can't give the final result of the Sunday night game, which means we have to switch to college football. What a shame. Let's let's hit that real quick. We had uh, really one big time ballyhooed matchup uh, that turned out to be I shouldn't say fairly good matchup it, it was because of the coaches with Dabo going against Jimbo as uh, Clemson number two in the country went to A&M Jimbo Fisher's opener they were a 12 point favorite um, we went mano a mano with that one in our selections you took Clemson I took A&M Clemson escaped with their lives from Aggieland and the 12th man in what turned out to be a tremendous football game, a tremendous college football game in an absolutely awesome setting. And they hang on 
uh, in the last few seconds as really a, a, I thought an ill-advised two point conversion play call uh, gave the quarterback. I, I hate when they have a roll because it takes away half the field from them. And it looked like the play really never had a chance. And Clemson hangs on uh, to a two point win uh, against A&M. I'm not going to say to spoil Jimbo's opener because uh, losses aren't wins and there's no such thing as, as moral victories, which all great coaches say. And if you're Jimbo saying that to his guys, but they proved that they can play with one of the best teams in the country. And that was a hell of a football game. Yeah. What helps Clemson here is this was week two. And I think you can make this a little bit easier of a close win to swallow just because of the environment in college station just because you're still trying to feel out the two quarterbacks that you throw back there, just because it is the second game of the season, there's not too much worry when this happened at this stage of the season. And if you look at Clemson's schedule, you could argue that this might even turn out to be their toughest opponent for their next remaining games, which is surprising in itself there. So they'll have enough time to figure things out. It's a little terrifying that it was this close based on the expectations going in, but deep down in the remnants of their soul, they have to feel good that they were able to pull out this win, even though it wasn't expected to be this close. Just the atmosphere, just the coaches you mentioned, you like to feel good about a win like this this early. Let's give A&M some credit. They played a hell of a game. Right. Remember, that, that Clemson front four, I, I mean, Mel Kuyper Jr., the draft guru, uh, whom some of us love and some of us hate. I happen to love him. But I believe he has three of their front four in his top 20 uh, draft board. Uh, that's a pretty rare bird. And they threw for over 300 yards. Uh, they put up 26 points. And remember, they had a drive prior to the last one. Uh, I'm not going to say stall, but end at somewhere between – around the one yard line because of that hideous rule where, uh, you know, you lose control of the football and instead of going out just before it gets the end zone, it curls into the end zone and out of the end zone. Uh, the defense gets the ball back. I've never understood that it's, rule. It's one of the worst rules it's in one of the worst professional rules sports. sports. No question. No, in, in sports. Remember, because it's right. not just in the pros. No question about you it. Know, what, what, every offensive fumble not recovered by the defense should be returned to the spot of the fumble unless the offense recovers it and loses yards. Even if you and put all, it at the 20 and you wanted to play a little touchback, okay, we'll put it here. The and, fact and, that you lose the ball completely is mind-boggling. And, and offense should never be able to benefit from fumbling the football by advancing it. I firmly believe that. You know, they got they have the rule on fourth down. Right. I don't think you should ever be able to advance your own fumble. All right, the best you should ever be able to be is get it at the spot of the fumble. But regardless, uh, you know, Jimbo went nuts. Unfortunately, um, for them, it was clearly the right call because. I think it was the right call, number one. And number two, there was nothing remotely resembling uh, clear evidence to reverse it. It was a bad play by the kid. Uh, the, all these players have gotten the habit in the last quarter century of reaching the ball out to try and get first downs or try and get touchdowns when a good chunk of the time they have no business doing it. And that's the kind of horrific result you can have by making that risky play. Fortunately for them, they got the ball back got down the field, 
and put themselves in a position to tie the game with the touchdown and make it 28-26, but could not convert at the two-point conversion. And the AP Top 25 is released. The top four remained as everyone expected it to. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State rounding out the top four. So and let's touch on Georgia real quick. That was supposed to be uh, a, a not going to say an even matchup. All right. Um, Georgia was a favorite at South Carolina, and that was a relatively close game at halftime. And then Georgia just uh, flexed its muscles and manhandled South Carolina in the second half and took over that game uh, on both sides of the football and showed that they are clearly a playoff contender in a very, very strong SEC with Alabama, Georgia, LSU, uh, a pretty good Mississippi State team that went into Kansas State and won. Um, so uh, that was a, a, a very, and a lot of people thought Carolina could win that game. Uh, but they were literally manhandled in the second half. So Georgia looked very, very good. That brings us to the inaugural six-pack segment where Al and myself take three teams from college football and three teams for the NFL against the spread and hope for the best. And it went as I expected. Al holds the upper hand. Yeah, with don't, his ex- don't expect don't expect that. I can't <laughs> I can't pick my nose. Don't make it sound like this is gonna be, you know, get our audience thinking that you know I'm some soothsayer. <laughs> you know, I, I went two and one in each folks and uh, you know that that's huge for me because I'm a perennial loser. Uh, we went mono mono in a couple games uh, my picks real quick, uh, my, my college picks were Oklahoma minus 30. Uh, they almost pulled it off, uh, but a, a late UCLA touchdown got that game to 40, I think it was 49-21. So I wound up a couple points short on that. We went uh, mano a mano in the uh, A&M and Clemson game. Uh, you had the favorite, I had the dog. And then uh, my other pick, which was in doubt at halftime, but as I said, uh, got to hand right home in the second half, is I did take Georgia lay the 10 uh, in Columbia, and uh, they beat up South Carolina in the second half. I went with the team right below them in the standings, Ohio State, giving 36 points to Rutgers, never a doubt. Ohio State's out to get everybody in these first couple games, even with that huge number. Clemson, very disappointing with the 12. And mostly a nudge and a joke to my hometown favorite teams, Penn State. I went with Pittsburgh getting seven and a half, and they got murdered and crucified and any other word you would like to use. We don't even have to dwell on that game. So, yes, one and two. And that took us to the NFL, which was at least kind of better. And full disclosure, we did send these picks to each other before the games actually started. And there's text message evidence if anyone from the NCAA is coming to check on our I's and T's. To and sure and, and unlike right. Urban Meyer, we did not erase the text. Exactly. So I went with, <laughs> I, I had a, a theme, I guess, to these NFL picks. I went with my favorite team, the Denver Broncos, who were giving three and a half, and unfortunately they missed that by a half point, as we know. Everybody was on the Ravens this week on talk radio shows, on picking shows, so I went with them 
giving seven and a half away to the Bills, and they could have given away 40, and we still would have been okay. So that was a lock that actually ended up panning out, a lock that friend of the program, as far as listenership goes, Mike Francesa gave on Barstool Sports' new gambling show, live on Sunday morning. He was all over the Saints at minus 10, and as we know, they didn't even win the game. So there's Mike Francesa the mush again. He, he got both of us this week. And he cost me uh, because I took my original pick of Cincinnati uh, off the board for Big Mike and, and slipped in the Saints minus the 9.5, 10. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, because obviously they were uh, never never in a position to cover, let alone win. I did get two W's. Uh, I took Carolina, uh, whether you were laying two and a half or whether you were laying three. I put it down as three against the Cowboys. And I had uh, Kansas City plus, depending upon where you look, when I made the official play, because we have to do them obviously before these games begin, uh, when we discussed them and put them into each other, bef- even before the final lines, uh, I had uh, three and a half. It may have come down to three, but regardless, it was an outright win. So I went two and one, the NFL, two and one NCAA. And folks, that will probably be the last time you will hear me say that I had a winning week on both the NFL and the NCAA portion of the six pack, a portion of this program. You heard it here first. <laughs> it might have been. Uh beginner's gambling luck but i don't know you've long hung up your gambling whistle this might be the time once the beak starts getting wet maybe we get a little hot in the next couple weeks and we will do a better job of getting these out to you guys i'll even put them out on twitter at london bridge for this upcoming week released before the college football games on saturday and do the same for the nfl on sunday so you'll get to see those And for next week's show, we'll hopefully have the following week's pick. So if you want to ride either one of us or fade us, particularly me, I I recommend it highly for those three games on each slate, you can do so. And if you've been listening this long and want to chime in on the show with either a question or comment, you can use the number that I have for my other podcast, 929-274-3437. You can call that and leave a voicemail. Or just text whatever you'd like to say with your name and where you're from, and we can get you guys on the show next week. That's it. We're out of time. When you've got a full slate of NFL games and you sneak in some NCAA, it doesn't give you a whole heck of a lot of time to do anything else. Uh, So we're sorry, Serena, that this was not a successful trip to New York uh, as you went down in the finals uh, in a stunner. To an an idol, or at least victorious winner was her idol they took a picture i think it was four years ago a selfie when they met each other and she was actually disappointed in beating serena at the end of it it's amazing what she's done to that sport similar to tiger was in golf but it seems to be the case with serena and and even and we see incredibly it with, controversial uh not so much outcome but an incredibly controversial uh impact uh, decision impact right. uh, as a result of the man in the chair uh, who penalized Serena first a point, then a game, uh, which was all started by uh, a warning uh, because her coach, uh, who admitted to his credit, admitted 
that he was coaching from the box where he gave her a hand signal. He was about 100 yards away and signaled her for, for her to go to the net. Serena uh, got angry uh, over that, and then she broke a racket when she lost the game after she had uh, broken her, her opponent. So that was her second warning, which is an equipment one, which cost her a point. And then uh, she went after the umpire. And when he wouldn't apologize to her, she got up from the chair. She got up from the chair. She called him a thief. And he turned the biggest game of the match into an automatic game uh, for her opponent, which turned it from uh, 4-3 into 5-3. And not that she wouldn't have held, not that she wouldn't have won, because she played better and she was the better player uh, on Saturday night. But nobody came to see that happen. Uh, and as a result, you had one of the more controversial decisions in the history of, uh, of this tournament, if not any other. It usually happens. It's not the first time it's happened to Serena uh, here in this tournament. And um, as she goes down in the final in the attempt to tie Margaret Court uh, for the most uh, singles majors titles uh, in tennis history. Yep, and shout out to Naomi Osaka. Never feel bad about beating your heroes. Exactly. <laughs> Never feel bad exactly. about it. Exactly. You know, and you know, no, we're, we're sorry here in New York that those fans uh, acted the way they did. And uh, not that they didn't appreciate your play. I'm sure they did. But there are a lot of Serena fans, as we all know. And I think the reaction would not have been anything remotely resembling that had that not happened in terms of the officiating. Had it just been her serving out the match. Uh, she would have gotten, I think, a huge uh, round of applause and all the respect and gratitude, or I should say, uh, all the uh, respect and affection from the crowd that she deserved because she was fabulous the entire tournament. The crowd is pissed for two reasons. One, it's Serena. And two, they feel like they got cheated. You know, they want to see that match get served out or they want to see Serena have the chance to battle back, which she's done so many times. And nobody went into that building and paid what you pay to go into that building uh, wants to see anybody be given a game. That's what happened. That's it. And we've got how many more months that we get to do shows like this? It's definitely going to be fun, and we'll always have exciting things to talk about, especially doing the show late on Sunday night after the majority of games for the NFL and all of them, really, for college football, the majority of as well, are in the books Always a pleasure, Al. I enjoyed this week. We'll get better at this as we go along to you listeners once we get a feel for how to pace this and move forward. But I think it, this was a lot of fun, and it's only going to get better. More to come. Johnny, always a pleasure being with you. Remember, folks, down the stretch we come. Pennant races, wild card races, NFL, NCAA, a whole lot of more for you. Johnny, I'll talk to you next week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.